All right, Daniel chapter number four. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Daniel chapter number four. As you have seen your outline, there's a lot of blanks to fill in. So we're going to go fast. Uh, and and this, is, this is going to be a really, really good study. I'm telling you, I hate that so many people are missing it, but uh, this is going to be a blessing. Uh, we're going to see the conversion of a wicked pagan king and the process that God uses to do that. Uh, chapter four... Uh, is really uh, basically a gospel track. It, it is, it is, if we could put it this way, how many of y'all have seen our My Story tracks? My Story tracks. If you can see that there for every view. Uh, the My Story is basically this. It says My Story on the front. And it says, someone shared a message with me that changed my life. Here is what? My Story. And there we have the testimony. Well, if we take that, if we take that in our minds and look at chapter number four, this is Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, this is my, this is my story. And so we're going to get to see his story. He's going to describe it. He's going to teach it to us. And uh, how many of y'all are glad that God loves wicked people? I'm glad God loves wicked people. Sometimes we think that, uh, uh, anyway, anyway, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. We'll run out of time. Amen. Let's look. Daniel chapter four in verse number one. If you're there, say amen. amen. Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Now that right there is your first clue. That right there is your first clue. If you have gone through Daniel chapter one, up into Daniel chapter four, you know, he doesn't use terms like this. He doesn't greet or wish peace on people. He is a tyrant. He is a wicked, wicked, uh, angry, uh, vengeful tyrant who likes to throw people in fire. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And for him, just, just, we see something has happened. Something has changed him. Uh, in chapter number three, he was telling all people and nations and languages bow down or else. Now he's saying peace, everybody. Can y'all see this? First of all, we see something's changed. Okay. Now I thought, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now keep in mind in chapter number three, this is the same God where he said, who is that God who would deliver you out of my hand? Something's changed. Something's changed. He says, I want to brag on this God. Let me tell you what happened to me. And then in verse four, verse four begins his testimony. I Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And I told them, uh, or excuse me, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And saying before him, I told the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. 
Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong and the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to the ends of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair and the fruit thereof much and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it. The fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bows thereof and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed and behold a watcher that is a a, a guardian, an angel and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, thus hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass thereof or grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. This matter, now I'm going to read this and I'm going to pray and let you sit down, but we're going to, we're going to cover the whole chapter. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent, to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. And all God's people say it. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to be in your house. Lord, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for a, a, a Bible that we can depend on and we can trust in. Lord, we need your spirit right now. We need that touch that Daniel had. I pray, God, that you will just give us what we stand in need of. Bless everyone that's here. Meet every need. I pray that we'll be so glad we came to church to Bible study tonight. And God will praise you and thank you and give you glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, we find the king has, a, has a, a dream. This is getting to be a reoccurring uh, situation. Amen. Uh, this time, this time he tells the dream. He shares the dream, the contents of the dream with his astrologers, with his magicians, with all those that are supposed to be able to help him with his, his uh, situation. And they couldn't, of course, again. And they call in Daniel. We see Daniel. Daniel, if you're here new and this is one of your first times with uh, the, the study in Daniel, uh, Daniel was a captive. He was taken into captivity from Jerusalem uh, as a young man, and he was trained and developed in all of the arts, all of the, the, the wisdom of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and he was taught to be a good Babylonian, but he was a child of God. Say amen. He had God on him. Uh, he had the touch of God with him. And, and, and now we see he has been called to the scene to help with this situation. So... Here's how I want to do this. I want you to, I want you to, as we go into this study, I want you to see this as a, a picture of the process of salvation, a picture of a sinner being approached by a holy God and dealt with and brought to a place of belief and faith in him. If that makes sense, say amen. Now, when we use our my story, when we use our my story, we say our story is made up of basically three things. My life before Christ, how I came to Christ, and my life 
after Christ. And you're going to see, you're going to see much of that in that particular form here in this chapter. You're going to see his, his life before God, uh, how he came to God. Uh, and that is the, that is the biggest part of the content, how he came to God, how God got his attention, if we can put it that way. And then we see how he is and how he behaves and how he speaks and declares after God got his attention. So looking at it that way, I want to, I want to deal with this chapter, deal with the content, look at the practical things, and we'll see how God deals with sinners today. If that makes sense, say amen. And we'll have to do it fast because the more I looked, the more I kept typing and the more points we got and we got a bunch of them. Amen. So, uh, and I've got some material I want to read to you just to give you some background on point number one and point number two. So let me give you, let me go ahead and give you the subs under point one and point two, and then we can, then we can read the, the background material to help you, uh, give you a more solid foundation, uh, of who he was and why he was the way he was. Okay. So write this down. We're going to talk about Babylon first. We're going to talk about the city Babylon. We're going to talk about his empire and, 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 but let's, let's look at the city itself. First of all, write these three things down. We see the place we see it was a great place. It was massive. It was massive. We're going to look, we're going to look at one of his mansions. One of his mansions was 11 acres, guys. 11 acres. They, they are, archaeologists have uncovered one of, just one of his mansions was 11 acres. Can you imagine cleaning that booger? This place was incredible. It was a great place. It was a glorious place. There was gold everywhere. There was splendor everywhere. It was called the golden city, which we have covered that in the past. But then, then the problem was that he didn't understand it was a given place. God gave it to him. God gave it to him. Now, let me read a little bit of let me read a little bit of background information about Babylon. When the armies no longer marched and there was no more need for warfare, Nebuchadnezzar came back to the city of Babylon to turn his attention to the building of his capital city. So Nebuchadnezzar set himself to build the greatest, grandest, most golden city in the world, and he succeeded. There has never been before, there has never been since, and there will never ever be another city like Babylon. The, the, the closest thing that we could ever even come close to what this will be is a new city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, if you read Revelation. But Nebuchadnezzar had at his disposal hundreds of thousands of slaves. Nebuchadnezzar had no labor problems and no financial problems. He had hundreds of thousands of slaves from nations he had subjugated. He uprooted them and brought them into Babylon. And there they labored to realize the dream of this great king. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar have slave labor, which cost him nothing, but he also had the treasures of the world at his command. Wherever the armies of the cruel and merciless Chaldeans went, they stripped the nations they conquered and brought back into the city the treasures of the then known world. For example, we, 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 we read where Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple of Solomon and brought back into Babylon all the golden altars, lampstands, utensils of the beautiful temple of Solomon. This was nothing this was nothing compared to the treasures which he had pillaged and gathered forcefully and coercively from the ends of the earth. He had the opportunity which no man will ever have again. And he built the most beautiful city eyes have ever beheld in human history. There it stands. 
surrounded by a high wall. It is built in an exact square set toward the cardinal points of the earth. 15 miles this way is a wall, 15 that way, 15 miles that way, 15 back again. The wall is 350 feet high. Y'all with me? It is 87 feet broad at the top. So wide that six chariots can race around it side by side. It is pierced by 100 gates and the gates are made of two great leaves hammered out of burnished bronze. The writers say that when the sun rose in the morning and set in the evening, these gates looked like liquid fire. Everything in Babylon was symmetrical. 25 avenues, 150 feet wide, ran east to west. 25 avenues, 150 feet wide, ran north to south. In the center of the city, there was an avenue which crossed over a great bridge above the Euphrates River. On one side of the avenue was a regal palace. On the other side was another regal palace. The Euphrates ran diagonally through the city. And between the wall of the city and the river, there were docks and wharves for the commerce of the world. The palaces of Nebuchadnezzar cover more than 11 identifiable acres. That is just one mansion. Into those palaces, Nebuchadnezzar brought the treasures of the world. They were gilded and silvered. The great banquet hall had it in its finest plastered walls. Against one of those plastered walls, the heavenly hand wrote Mini Minko Tico Eupharson in the days of Belshazzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And we'll get to that in, a couple, in just a little bit. <clears throat> and, and by the way, uh, that is a bad deal. Say amen. You will find in the, in the next chapter. Nebuchadnezzar was married by his father, Nabopolassar, to Amethyst, the princess of Medea. She was a mountain girl and the flat alluvial plain of Babylon was boring to her. So the king built her a mountain, terraced and covered with trees, shrubs, flowers. One could see from afar the famous hanging gardens of Babylon. When Herodotus took, looked upon it with his Greek, uh, his Greek companions, they called it one of the seven wonders of the world. Preacher, what are you saying? It was, it was glorious. It was, it was, there's no words to describe it. People, secular historians have written about it and there's, and there's no way that you can humanly comprehend it without seeing it. In other words, he had something to brag about. I'm not, that's where I'm getting at with this. I want you to understand he was just not, this was something that he was built up. He had something to be proud of, if you will, in man's eyes, in man's speaking. So we see the place. It was a great place, a glorious place, but he forgot it was a given place. It was a given place. And we'll come back to that. Number two, we see the person. We see the person. <clears throat> I want you to write these three things down and I'm going I'm to read a little bit about him. He was an ascended man. He rose to the highest ranks. He rose to the highest ranks. He was basically, if you want to put it this way, he was the king of the known world. He was an ascended man. But he was an angry man. He was an angry man, full of anger, hatred, vitriol, vindictive, brutal, violent. And he was an arrogant man. He was an arrogant man. Nebuchadnezzar, now, now just put your pens down for a second and listen. 
Nebuchadnezzar was a personally cruel and violent man. He had no self-restraint in his anger. Every conquest added to his arrogance and vanity. He was cruel beyond even what Oriental monarchs were and have been known to be. For example, in the book of Daniel in the second chapter, the king is preparing to butcher an entire class of men simply because they could not recall to him a dream which he said he had forgotten. In the third chapter of the book, the king is seen heating a furnace seven times hotter than usual for the roasting of three Hebrew young men who refused to bow down before his golden image. In in the word, in your Bible, it calls he was in a rage. He was in a fury. His anger was so uncontrolled that it caused the death of his best men in the army. This is the man we're talking about. Jeremiah chapter number 29 tells us that the, there were two Jews whom Nebuchadnezzar roasted in fire. In 2 Kings 25, Nebuchadnezzar put out King Zedekiah's eyes after he had slain the man's sons before his face. In other words, he killed his sons in front of him and then took out his eyes so that the last thing he ever saw was the murder of his two sons. Imagine that. This is, this is the kind of man we're talking about. The last thing he saw was his slain sons. In 2 Kings 24, Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim, who was only 18 years of age, and imprisons him 36 years for an offense. He was incredibly cruel, violent, and fiercely vindictive. Now look at his political, look at his political character. He brought untold misery to the world. Not content with laying under tribute the nations which he conquered, but the king pursued the bitter practice of the cruel Assyrian by uprooting the people and deporting whole nations and resettling them as strangers in a strange land. Think of the hopelessness, the helplessness, the untold indescribable misery of whole peoples as they were deported from their homes and carried away into a foreign country. The path of the victor's march could be marked by the corpses of women, children, the old, the sick, who were not able to keep pace with the army. And think of those people as they lifted up their eyes to see their homes gone, destroyed, their nations destroyed, and themselves living in a strange land. It'll kind of help you understand Psalm 137, where the people said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remember Zion, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there, they that carried us away captives required of us a song. That they, they that wasted us required of mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But they said, how do you sing the Lord's song in a strange land? This is who we're talking about. We're not talking about a good old boy. We're not talking about somebody with an issue. We're not talking about just a bad person. We're talking about the top of the list bad guy. The one most likely you would not even want to witness to. Are y'all with me? Think about this. Now we, we haven't even really got into the part that I want you to understand But as bad as they are, he was. But yet God cared about him. And God set out to get his attention. Are y'all with me? Say amen. This is great. Look at this. Number number three. Number three. Number three. No more long reading. That's all there. 
But now, now in your mind, in your mind, before we jump into this, before background for background sake, can y'all see how incredibly, incredibly rich and, and glorious and magnificent was all that he accomplished? Can we all see that? Now, can we all agree and see how wicked, how evil, how angry, how, how vindictive, how much of a terrible person this guy was? Can we all see that? Okay. All right. Good. With that in mind, with that in mind, let's go into number three. First, we see the place. Then we see the person. Number three, we see the persuasion. And here's what I want you to put beside that. Put in quotes beside that or, or parentheses, however you want to do that. I want you to put the word conviction. I want you to put the word conviction. This is where God begins to convict him. But I had to have a P word. Say amen. <laughs> conviction is persuasion. Conviction is where God comes to where you are and he persuades you that you are a sinner and you need a savior. And you cannot get saved without that. No man cometh unto the father unless they're drawn by him. Are y'all with me? The Holy Spirit, we believe in holy. You can't just decide, okay, I think I'm going to get saved today. It doesn't work that way. It requires conviction. Now let's look at some of these, some of these facts about how this all took place. Okay. I want you to see number one or a, write this down. I want you to see the timing, the timing of this conviction. Look what he says. He begins his testimony in verse four. He begins his testimony in verse, whoa, 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 back, back up, back up, back up. Verse three, verse three, how great are his signs, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. Now the word signs there means flag. It means flag or it means warning. Say that with me. It means flag or warning. warning. How great is God's warning. God sent a warning. Okay, now, now, if you're familiar with this chapter, we didn't get to read it all the way through because I know you're tired and you want to sit down. So you don't want to read 500 verses in. I get all that, so I'll let you sit down before we read the whole thing. But if you know this chapter, you understand that God put him in a place where he went insane. And for seven years, for seven years, he was spent out in the woods like an animal, like a beast. He thought he was a beast. But guess what? It didn't have to go there because God sent him a, come on now. God sent him a, a warning, a sign, a warning, a flag. How great was his warning? This was, this is his testimony. He said, man, I got to tell you about God's warning. Not only his warning, but the wonder that word means miracle. Miracle. And you say, what's the miracle? And I might be getting a little ahead of myself, but I got to tell you this. It's a miracle that is, is now, now think about this. He has the greatest kingdom in all the world, the greatest position in all the world. And now he's gone for seven years. How in the world is it possible that he gets his kingdom back? Yeah. A miracle, yeah. a miracle. And we'll get to there, but y'all see what I'm saying? This is what he's trying to show you. This is what he's trying to tell you. He said, I got to tell you about the great miracles. I got to tell you about the great signs, the flag, the warning. In other words, I didn't have to spend that time. God tried to warn me. And that warning is conviction. God says, I need to get your attention. We see the timing. Write that down. Did I tell you to write that down? The timing. When is it? 
Look what it says. Look what it says. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and, come on everybody, and flourishing in my palace. He said, here I was, here I was, minding my own business. I thought I had the world by the tail. I looked up that phrase because sometimes I've learned phrases growing up that some people are not familiar with. It means in a great expression of self-confidence. It means you think you got it all together. You think you know it all. You think, you think you've got everything and that is him. He thought I was the greatest. I'm the most powerful. I'm the richest. Nobody has. He says, I was flourishing in my tent. I thought I had it all. I thought I had it all. He said, but then I had a dream. I want you to see this. This is good. First, we see the timing of this persuasion or conviction. Can I go ahead and just use the word conviction now that you, you know, it's, it's not alliterated, but you, this is what I'm trying to say. This conviction came at a time when he thought he, he had it all. It's kind of like, do y'all remember the, 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 the rich guy who had a great harvest and he brought in the great harvest and he said, man, I done filled up my barns. I'm going to tear down my barn and what? Build bigger barns. I've got it together. And he said, thou fool. That's right. Your soul shall be required of you. He thought he had it all together. Listen, listen, this arrogant king, this arrogant king who was not satisfied with being the head of gold. He wanted all of it. He wanted an everlasting kingdom that would not end. He never, are y'all with me? The timing of this conviction. Then look at the access. Write that down. And this is not going to be alliterated, but it's the best I could do. The access. Preacher, what are you saying? He was behind guarded walls. He was behind armed guards. He was behind a huge wall, a moat. But God got to him. We're talking about a king who has all the security he could ever need. He had all the security he'd ever want. He had all of the wealth. He didn't have to worry about anything, but here he is laying in his bed, scared to death. Preacher, what are you saying? You can't hide from God. I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. You can't hide from God. You can get out of the void. Listen, I used to, I used to, uh, when, when I was under conviction, when I was under conviction, man, I'd, I'd go to church and, and the preacher be preaching, boy, it'd just get on me. And I'm telling you, just get on me. And it just, whoo, it tear me. I said, boy, if I could ever get out of this building, if I could ever get out from the voice of that preaching, I'll be all right. But I had no idea he'd come home with me. He came home with me in the car. He came, he came down the hallway in my house. He came into my bedroom. I couldn't shake it. I'm here to tell you, God can get your attention. It don't matter where you go. It don't matter who you got in front of you. It don't matter who you got beside you. It, listen, he had access to the king. The access. Listen, the Holy Spirit will find you. The Holy Spirit will go wherever you go. And I'm telling you, he will get your attention. And think about this. Look at the, look at the effect, the effect of this persuasion, the effect of this conviction. What did God do? He took his peace away. He took his peace away. Isn't that so much like conviction? You have no peace. You have anxiety. You have fear. 
You know, there's a lot of people, they, there's a lot of people that could save a lot of money if they would just straighten up their life and quit trying to buy pills to fix something that's not the problem. There's a lot of people that their fear is coming from their lifestyle, not coming from a physical ailment or problem. Now, I'm not saying everybody's. I know, I know every, listen, there are people with legit, sure enough, needing medical attention. But the Bible says that the wicked flee when no man pursueth. The righteous are bold as a lion, meaning this, that when you're not living right, you're scared all the time. And if you're dealing with that, you might want to check up. Am I living the way I'm supposed to be living? Is there something wrong? Do I have an issue? He had an issue. And this persuasion was God trying to what? Warn him. Warn him. Church, say amen. We see the conviction, the timing. The timing is when he had it all together. The access, he, he couldn't hide from God. The effect, God took his peace away. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. In other words, godly sorrow will cause you to repent. Now, what does it mean to repent? It means to turn. If you repent from something, you quit doing it. If I'm going this way and I repent, I turn and go this way. Are y'all with me? I remember one time, I remember one time we was, we was, uh, when, when my father and, 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 and mother still lived in, in Florida, Fort Pierce, Florida, uh, me and Tammy and one of my buddies from up in, up in Carolina, when I was going to uh, Bible college up there, we had come down to visit and, uh, spent a few days. Well, my dad and my uncle Chucky, they were coming back up to Georgia to go deer hunting. And so, so we were out, me and Tammy and my buddy was in one vehicle and my dad and my uncle Chucky was in the other vehicle. And we were, we were coming up 95, we were coming up 95 and, and, and dad's been in the lead the whole way. We got up into Georgia and, and we stopped at Burger King to get a sandwich. Well, as soon as we got through getting something to eat and everything, we got back in the vehicle. I said, dad, I'll take the lead here. I said, we're, we're close and just follow me. And so I got on the interstate and I was talking to Tammy and my buddy. We was having a big time and, and, and we were jawing and having a big time. And I looked in my rear view mirror and I saw flashing lights just, just, and I mean, they were getting closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, man, some fool is just, he going to call somebody getting a wreck. And it come back, got beside me. And it was my dad and uncle Chucky. <clears throat> I said, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. When I said, follow me, I, I, I got on the exit and was headed back south. I was going back home. He said, you got to turn around. Now, here's the thing. Him telling me, him telling me that I'm going the wrong way is not repentance. Me feeling bad about going the wrong way is not repentance. It's not repentance till I got off the exit. And got back and started heading north. Say amen. Look what, look what this says. Look what this says. Conviction of sin. Conviction of sin is God's way. Oh, this is good. Conviction of sin is God's way of inviting you to what? Y'all went, restore. Say the whole thing, all right? Conviction of sin is God's way of God's saying, I want you back. 
I want you close. I want a fellowship with you. He's not, you know what? He's not, he's not up in heaven saying, let me see how bad I can make them feel. Let me, let me just see if I can make their life miserable today. No, he's missing you. And he's wanting fellowship with you. He paid an ultimate price so you could be brought back into relationship with him. And he doesn't like you not being close to him. So he's going to make you miserable till you come back to him. Listen, that's what conviction is. It's an invitation from God. Conviction, though, here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Conviction is not what? Repentance. That's not. Conviction is not repentance. Conviction leads to repentance. But you can be convicted without. I could have felt bad and kept driving south. Are y'all with me? There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people come to church and they'll get under the preaching of the word and God will convict them of their lifestyle or their behavior or whatever they're doing. And they feel bad about it, but not bad enough to quit. I I was I was looking through a, a. looking at different illustrations that have to do with this. And they were talking about old country songs. One of the old country song was, I feel bad about being here, but not bad enough to leave. You know, there's tons of people just like that. They would rather live feeling miserable than to do the right thing. Listen, the effect of God's warning. He couldn't sleep. He was afraid. His thoughts troubled him. He had to get, and by the way, by the way, he tried to fix it man's way. Did y'all notice this? He called in the magicians. He called in the astrologers. I, 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 man, I couldn't help but think God was telling me, listen, you, man can't fix this problem. Man can't, you know what? There, there, God has sent plagues and God has sent diseases on certain demographics and certain groups of people uh, because of their sinful lifestyle. And you know what man did? They just, they just made a medicine to try to fix it where they could keep living a sinful lifestyle. Instead of stopping living a sinful lifestyle so you wouldn't get the disease, we just want to make it where we can keep living the way we want to live and not die from it. And he said, I need my magicians. I need my astrologers. I need all my people. I need, and they could not fix the problem. So what did he do? He had to call a preacher. Yep. Some of y'all need some coffee or some Red Bull. I know you're sleepy, but I'm excited about this one. This is a good one. All right. So get with me. Number one, the place. Number two, the person. Number three, the persuasion. Number four, the preacher. What about this preacher? Old Daniel. Well, the first thing we see is he had the touch of God. Look in verse eight. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. Watch this now. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods? Listen. That, that is not said about any of the music, I keep saying musicians, magicians, amen. It is not said about any of the astrologers, but the man of God, he said, there's something different about you. You don't, you don't act like the rest of them and you don't talk like the rest of them. They, they, something, they, something different about you. I tell you what was different. He had the anointing of God on him. 
and he had the touch of God on him. I'm telling you, I would sure rather see somebody with a touch of God on them than all the talent in the world. He had the touch of God. B, he not only had the touch of God, he spoke the word of God. He spoke the word of God. Look what it says in verse 19. After he told him, after the king told him what the dream was, Daniel, Daniel begins to reveal what the dream was about. He tells him the dream. Then it says, verse 19, when you get there, say amen. Amen. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished. Astonished means astonished or speechless. It just, he was just, you know, it troubled him. It bothered him. For one hour, he couldn't speak. His thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belshazzar answered and said, my Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. It bothered him. You know what? If, 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 I, have watched, I have watched preachers preach on people going to hell and I thought they wanted them to. The way they preach, the, I, I don't even know how to describe it. it it's almost like a vindictive, yeah. angry, yeah, mean-spirited yeah. type. But I'm telling you, if a man has the touch of God on him, it's going to bother him yeah. to have to say what he has to say. If it doesn't bother you, you still have to say it. You still have to preach the truth. But if it doesn't bother you, I have to wonder, do you really got the touch on you? And man, it bothered him. Not, I don't believe, I don't believe, and I, I, I think I can prove this. I don't believe it was because he was scared for his life because they done proved. And he'll prove again when, when, with the, the den of lions that he wasn't afraid. But I think he truly cared about this wicked king. Listen, look what he says. Look what he says. In verse number 24, verse number 24. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the most high God, which has come upon the Lord, the king. What is he saying? I'm telling you what God said. This is a word from the Lord. My opinion don't matter a hill of beans. What I think about something. When I get here, I have to tell you what God said. And he had the touch of God. He spoke the word of God. And here's here's a big deal. He revealed the heart of God. Verse 27, verse 27, he revealed the heart of God. He says, wherefore, O king, wherefore, O king, wherefore, remember what we said when we see wherefore, what we we read before it to find what is there for, right? Because of what I just said, 
Because what God is saying is going to happen. In other words, because of the warning. What was the warning? You see, the tree represented the king. Now let's let's review the let's review the dream. There was a tree, a big, massive, massive tree, and man, it flourished and it had fruit and it, it gave shade. It had the beast of the earth under it. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then angels came and said, "Cut it off, cut it off, but protect the stump. Let seven times pass, which means seven years. Seven years pass upon it." And 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 Daniel said, "Hey." King, you're the tree. You're the tree. You've been blessed. You have grown to extreme heights and, and you have, you have got all of the people that's under you, but you're going to be cut down. You're going to be, you're going to be driven out and you're going to be given a, a, a heart of a beast. You're, you're basically, he's telling them you're going to go insane and you're going to have to live in the woods and live like an animal and graze, graze grass like an oxen. Till seven years goes by. But then he says this, wherefore? Wherefore? Because of what I just told you. Because of the warning. Watch what he says. I love this. Look what he says. Because of the warning, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. This is what you need to do. Break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. It may be, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Preacher, what are you saying? What is the heart of God? Listen, this is going to happen, but it don't have to. You're going to be devastated. You're going to be driven out of your kingdom. You're going to go through an extreme, horrible situation, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you will repent, if you will turn, if you will quit this lifestyle living the way you are, if you would, are y'all with me? God doesn't warn him because he's ready to pounce on him and he's sick and tired of him. He's warning him because he doesn't want him to go that way. He wants him to turn around. Look what it says. Look what it says. The Bible says, in Ezekiel 33, 11, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn, say that with me, that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? First Timothy 2, 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to. What is the heart of God? Repent, turn. I don't want you to go through this. I don't want you to experience this. I want you to turn. I want you to believe what I'm telling you. I want you to take this warning to heart. I want you to believe the truth that I'm telling you. You can still turn around. It's not too late. That's the heart of God. And if a pastor has the touch of God, he'll have the heart of God. And he won't be mean to you because he's mad at you. He doesn't want you to end up a train wreck. And he's telling you, God's trying to warn you. God's trying to tell you. Conviction is not God's way of punishing you. Conviction is God's way of warning you. 
Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Oh, Daniel. Man, he had the touch of God. He spoke the word of God. And old Daniel, he's saying, listen, Cain, this sounds bad. And this is bad, but it don't have to be that way. Now think about this. This is, this is, this is, this is the epitome of a pastor. The king has done such evil to Daniel. He's enslaved him. But yet Daniel's trying for the best interest of the king. Man, I can't tell you how many times, and I don't want to, I don't want to, anyway. No, I ain't doing it. People, he loved that king. Even though the king mistreated him. He was still trying his best for the welfare of the king. He said, turn, break away, stop. It don't have to be that way. Well, the king, he's about like most people. He's got a short memory. It's like a lot of people that come in in a fiery sermon and boy, they get convicted in the middle of the service, but it don't take them long to forget it. This sermon Lasted about 12 months. And apparently he done forgot. And so we see. Number four. Number five. Whatever number you want to pick. I think it's five. We five? Five. Look at verse 28. All this. What? All of that being driven out, being given the heart of a beast, losing his mind, insanity. Now keep in mind, this is Nebuchadnezzar telling his own story. He said, everything that I heard was going to happen, it happened. It happened. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon He's walking, imagine him walking on the, on the roof of that palace, that 11 acre fortified mansion. And he's just all full of himself. Probably has his courtiers around him and his stewards and his slaves and his servants. And he said, look, the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon? that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty. Well, that's all that God could take. That's all God could take. Now, let's look at two things under pride and then we'll look at the penalty. First, we see his intention. Now, I'm going to say some things, and you just take it for what it's worth. I love you. His intention, he was fishing for compliments. 
He was, he was fishing for glory. He was, he was fishing for praise. Are y'all with me? He was trying to, he was, he was looking for, he was looking for the like button. Come on, y'all. Come on. He was wanting people to glorify him. Now, now, before we get too sideways with him, let's keep in mind how many people are doing that every day on social media. Insecure women will dress half naked just so people will give them a compliment. They're insecure in who they are. They're insecure in their own beauty and they're craving the praise of others. Men do the same thing. Men will make posts about what they did. Uh, People are, you know, there's a, if you do something nice for somebody, just leave it that way. Don't video it and don't take a picture of it and post it on Facebook because that's all the credit you're going to get. And let's be honest. We're, 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 we're craving praise. We're craving glory. We're, 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 he said, look at what I've done. Look at my majesty. Look at the building. Look what I have done. His intention his intention. He was fishing. He was fishing for praise. He was fishing for glory. Then we see the insinuation. The insinuation, write that down. He's insinuating it was by his power and ability that he did it. But let me let me help you with something. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, boy, this is good. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. And these things, brethren, this is Paul speaking. I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, And that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Watch this now. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Let me break it down. Let me translate it. You got here naked. Everything you have and are was given to you. I'm a self-made man. No, you ain't. You've been robbing God of his oxygen all these years. God gives you air to breathe. God gives you health to work. Don't, don't, don't come in with this. I'm this self-made, you know, come on. Paul is saying, Paul is saying this, why are you acting like somebody didn't give you what you got? Why, why are you proud? Why are you puffed up? If you do have a gift, God gave it to you. That's right. 
You ought to be proud of him and thankful to him, not arrogant against your brother. Pride, pride, pride. Man, this needs to be a Sunday morning when I'm just telling you right now. Proverbs 16, yeah, it can be. That's what dad said. Go ahead and do it this Sunday. I won't have to study again till Sunday. Amen. Pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Watch this now. Watch this now. Proverbs 16, 5. You know, how many of y'all have ever seen that show, The Family Feud? 100 people were asked this question. 100 people. I would be willing to guarantee. Thought I was going to say bet, didn't you? You you thought you did. I would be willing to guarantee if we were to ask 100 Christians, what is an abomination to God? Let me tell you what the number one answer would be. Homosexuality. That's right. And I guarantee you this one would not even be on the list. It's amazing how we can hand pick what we have an abhorrence to. But watch what God says. Proverbs 16, 5. How many? Come on. Everyone that is. Proud in heart is an. Ooh. Mm. Survey says. <laughs> you know why we don't hate that one? Because we don't hate stuff we got a problem with. We only hate the sins that other people have. And we're too proud. Well, let's move along. Pride. But keep in mind, pride goes before fall. And boy, did he fall. We see the pride, the penalty. Verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth. Boy, that kind of sounds like a man in the book of Acts that was given this great speech. Look it up. It was in Caesarea, by the way. He was eating of worms, too. Because he gave this great speech. And they said, historians said to his outfit, I know I'm running the squirrel, but it's too good not to. Said that his outfit was shimmering when he was giving his speech. And he was standing glistening in the sun. And the people began to cry out, he's a God, he's a God. And he was so caught up in all of that glory and praise that God killed him. And he was eating of worms on the spot. Mm. While the word was in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. Now, now let me show you something. Let me show you something. 
Look at his brag. Look at his brag. In verse number 30. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my and for the honor of my majesty. Watch, watch what God took from him. First, he removed his health. And y'all got it right fast. I'm running out of time quickly. He removed his health. He went insane. He thought he was an animal. The scientific term is like, like, and thro- it's a scientific term. Trust me. Lycanthropy. Lycanthro- anyway, he thought he was an animal. He was driven to the wilderness. So first he bragged about his house. He bragged about his power. And he bragged about his honor. We see God removed his health. That's his power. God removed his house. Now he's living in the woods and the dew of heaven is falling upon him. He has no shelter. And God removed his honor. He's no longer king. Everything that he bragged about, God took from him. Preacher, what's the point? If you think you're a self-made man, God can take everything that you're proud of. If you're proud of your business, God can take your business. If if you're proud of your beauty, God can take your beauty. If you're proud of your wealth, God can take your wealth. If you're proud of your children, God can take your children. God got his attention. It reminds me of Moses in the wilderness. Moses was full of himself. He was an educated man. He was a, listen, he was an aristocrat. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He was highly educated. He was a warrior. The Bible said he was a man powerful in word and deed and speech. And he tried to do something on his own. He killed that Egyptian soldier and God took him to the wilderness. And 40 years in the wilderness, he lost his ability. They say when you spend an inordinate amount of time without human interaction, you lose the ability to speak. When he, when he had all of his power, he said, I can. And God said, you can't. When God met him at the burning bush, God said, I want you to go set my people free. Cause that was his destiny. He just tried to do it on his own. Cause he thought he had it. And now after he, God has humbled him in the wilderness, God says, I want you to go set my people free. And you know what Moses said? I can't. And God says, now you can. God took away everything that he was proud of. How about Peter? You know, one of the inner three, the three amigos, Peter, James, and John, the one that got to see things that other disciples didn't get to see, the one that got to do what other disciples didn't get to do. I mean, he did walk on water. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was told by God he would be given the keys to the king. Are y'all with me? And Peter said, I got it. He said, you ain't. I can. God says, you can't. He said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. No, I'm. He said, I tell you what, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Not me. Got angry about it. Man, he was so full of himself. Boy, that night he... 
The last time he denied the Lord, he saw Jesus and Jesus saw him. And the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Everything that Peter was so proud of, God took from him. Broke him. I'm going to tell you this. Be careful. Be careful what you're proud about. Be careful what you're bragging on. Be careful what you think you have. Because God can take it all. Amen? Listen, let's hurry. Let's hurry. We see the penitence. Verse 34. We got to hurry. At the end of the days... <laughs> this is so good. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, did what? Lifted up mine eyes. Where? Under heaven. We see the direction of his attention. Before he was looking around at his city. When God got through with him, all he could do was look up. You know what God will do? He'll take you so low, the only direction you can look is up. We see the direction of his attention. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. We see the declaration of his acknowledgement. He declares, I acknowledge God. Woe is me, he says. I lifted up mine eyes into heaven and my understanding returned unto me. That kind of sounds like the prodigal son, don't it? When he's sitting in the hog pen and the Bible says, when he came to himself. Yeah, boy, man, I wish you had time. We need about 30 more minutes. I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? Watch this now. At the same time, as soon as he acknowledged God, as soon as he looked to God, And said, I'm not the one that needs to be praised. You're the one that deserves the praise. Immediately. Look what it says. Are y'all with me? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. For the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me. My counselors and my Lord sought unto me. You know who I believe was leading the charge to go find him? Daniel. Daniel was his lead counselor. I believe Daniel said, it's been seven years, boys. God said it takes seven years. Let's go find him. Let's go find him. We see the direction of his attention, the declaration of his acknowledgement, the deliverance of his actions. As soon as he acknowledged God, look what happens. His sanity returned. His servants went to find him. His security returned and his splendor returned. At the same time, verse 36, for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors, my Lord sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added unto me. You know what you can learn from that? And we'll get to the last point. Look at me, everybody. It's okay to have stuff and it's okay to be great as long as you know where it come from. God allowed him to be majestic. God allowed him to be a great king because he now knew where it came from. Amen. Number four, number whatever, eight. I'm, I'm, I'm eight, eight. The last one. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways, judgment. Those that walk in pride. You know what he's saying right here? Take my word for it. Those who walk in pride, he is able to, he's able to abase. His praise, three things. He praised his authority. He said, he's the king of heaven. He's the king of heaven. He's the king over all. He praises his actions. He said, all his works are truth and his ways, judgment. And he praises his ability. He's able to bring any man low. You know what basically chapter four is? Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, let me tell you what God did for me. Now everybody stand and look at me real quick. They're probably howling up there in the children's department. So as soon as we pray, you run to get them little monkeys. Amen. But I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. I don't care who you are. God loves you. And God wants you. And God will try to get your attention. But I'm so glad. I'm so glad that as soon as you repent, as soon as you repent, things can turn around. He said, at that time, as soon as I acknowledge God, God gave me everything back that he took to get my attention. And all God's people see it.